three, two. Jonathan, how does a person start tying flies? You know, somebody who might be a little apprehensive and not have an idea of where to start. What are your suggestions? Yeah. So if you've already, you know, done a lot of fly fishing or at least started with that, what you could do is uh, a Google search and just say, what are the easiest flies to tie and see what list comes up. And then you could look at that list and say, and, you know, if there are some flies you're familiar with, uh, all you then have to do is get on YouTube and, and look up some uh, videos for how to tie those flies and just see how easy they are. And if you think you can do them, you just jump right in if, if you have the uh, equipment and so forth. Uh, if you don't have the equipment, uh, that's easy too. You can buy these starter kits at places even like Bass Pro or you know, Cabela's or yeah, I think even Sportsman's Warehouse um, or online and, and just buy one of these kits. And um, uh, they're pretty reasonably priced, especially to, to start off with and just see if you like it. The, the one thing I think I wish I had done was maybe take an introductory fly fishing, fly tying class. Mm-hmm. I think that would have helped me because I think it took me a while to, mm-hmm. to realize how really easy it was, as long as you know what you're doing, to wrap thread and right. and and uh, capture, capture uh, materials and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. so if you were trying to go easy, what, mm-hmm. what three flies do you think you would start with, or you would recommend somebody start with? Well, there's a lot of, I mean, there, it, you know, pick your poison type, type of thing depends on your kind of fishing, but uh, a zebra midge is a very easy fly to tie. It's um, it's often used in the winter, but you can use it other times of the year too, but it's uh, it's super easy it doesn't ro- require a lot of material and um, you know, you can find plenty of videos to teach you this. Uh, so there's one suggestion. If you like using egg patterns, uh, you could find some easy egg patterns to tie uh, and get the material for it. It's not a lot of material. Uh, squirmies. Um, there are some techniques to doing it uh, um a specific way. I, I actually get a lot of messages on how I tie my specific squirmies. And I, of course, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sometimes that uh, elicits uh, uh, responses of, of aggression even. Um, but um, there's plenty of ways to tie squirmies that may not look super clean or pretty, but they will work. Those are at least three patterns that you could find online or uh, do some research on. And not a lot of material required and a pr- pretty easy to tie. I think on top of that, I would add pick one just to figure out how to wrap the thread, just to figure out how to get a, the beads on hooks and wire captured and, and those sorts of thing would be tie a couple of dozen. Yeah. Right in a row. And it doesn't right. have to be the same color, but right. But hold out your first one mm-hmm. and compare it to your last one. And, and people always see a huge difference right there. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and then then move on to another one because I think what some mm-hmm. folks do, including myself, was I'm going to tie this one. Oh, well, that looks okay, but I, now I want to try that one. <laughs> and then oh, that looks that looks I guess that looks okay. And then oh, I'm going to tie this one. So, you know, sitting down and tying 24 of the exact same pattern, yeah, and making sure that you keep out that first one that you made your way through somehow. Right. <laughs> right. I think is. Uh, okay. And you'll learn more about that pattern. And then it's, it's always good whenever you fish it and 
fish catch fish on something that you tied too. So yeah, and you can rewatch these videos over and over again. I mean, like um, you pick up on little things the more times you watch. You're like, oh, I forgot about that, or why didn't mine turn out so well? Right, first few, and you're like, oh, I missed that that little tidbit in the video. So um, it's again one of the benefits I think of living in this day and age. All right, well, let's kick this thing off from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly. This is the Southeastern Fly podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Feel free to share this with your friends and fishing partners. Subscribe or follow so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. If you found value in the podcast, please drop by the Southeastern Fly store and explore more than merch that fuels this podcast. Sales from that merchandise is what keeps this podcast going. If you need additional information about fly fishing techniques, fly tying, travel, gear, flies, anything like that, we have live video coaching. Signing up for those is, is easy to do, and it's, it's at the Southeastern Fly store as well. So who's our guest today on this episode of Southeastern Fly? He lives on Signal Mountain, Tennessee, which is one of where I live. I lived out there for a while. He owns a true family tie, fly tying business. Their flies are hand tied. He fishes and tests those same flies in the Smokies, the Cherokee National Forest, and North Georgia Mountains, as well as some tailwaters in Tennessee. Uh, he's on his way to North Carolina in a day or so to uh, put some more flies through their paces over there. This is his first time on Southeastern Fly. He's a professional tire who owns the Fly Doctor. And please welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Yeager. Jonathan, thanks for stopping by. Hey, thanks for having me. So that was a pretty pretty lengthy answer to the first question. And now we're going to move right into the second question so that we can hopefully get through all this today. I'll tell you my experience with tying soft tackles. And truth be told, I haven't made it past the, this point in my whole tying career. Your answer will probably help me as well as the person that asked this question. So I went over to a local, a local fly shop over in Brentwood called the Fly Chucker. Chuck is the owner, was the owner. Uh, he's retired since then, since then. But Chuck had had some flies that he that he designed and and it was kind of his homegrown recipes and that sort of thing. There was a particular fly that's a, a soft tackle, and I wanted to put my own spin on it. So I bought all the stuff that Chuck told me to buy, and uh, he walked me through the whole thing. All of it, all of what, what we needed, what had the, the directions on how to tie it, all these little tips and, and tricks. So he was, he was really, he's a really, he's a good dude. So I come home and I've got a glass of red wine. I'm sitting here at the desk and I start tying this, this soft tackle. And I wrap the tinsel, I wrapped some, uh, wrap the uh, wire and put a collar on it of, of, peacock hurl and then came time for the soft tackle piece of it the partridge and <laughs> needless to say that didn't go well i mean i think i broke off four or five or six of them right away uh which which made me go get another glass of red wine and as the night went on i mean i really wasn't very good at it if i got one to stay on without breaking it it didn't look right and if i put it back i tied it back too far mm-hmm. finally i just i unwrapped it and I, there was a squirrel tail laying right here on the desk. So I snipped some, I snipped some squirrel tail off and just laid that, that squirrel tail on top of it and just made kind of a wing, laid it back, made sure that the tips came, you know, to about the back mm-hmm. of the hook or a little bit less. Tied that sucker off, put some glue on it, tied three more, 
or two more. So I had three, I took three with me to the river and that was on Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, me and two friends of mine went to, uh, to the elk. Uh, and I started throwing that thing. And I mean, the brown trout started lighting it up. It was crazy how many fish I caught. Obviously they just stocked, but I didn't know that at the time, nor did I care because I was the one catching fish on this fly. Um, <laughs> uh, and then one of my buddies came up and said, Hey, what are you fishing? I said, here, one of these, he said, what is it? I don't, I told him I didn't know. <laughs> and then when my other buddy came up and said, Hey, what are you fishing? I said, here, this is the last one I have besides one on my rod. You're not getting it. Uh, he said, what is it? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> At the end of the day, we got back to the car, enjoying our Snickers bar and a beer. <laughs> and they said, you, you don't know what the name of that fly is. And I said, well, it started out to be an eat at Chuck's like Chuck has, but I couldn't tie the soft tackle. And one of them said, well, I don't know what it is, but it sure was busting some Browns today. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, it, then it's a Buster Brown. So I think out of my not understanding how to tie off, uh, number one, capture the soft tackle. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is probably, you know, 30 minutes into my fly tying career. Mm -hmm. uh not knowing how to capture the fly the the soft hackle piece the mm -hmm. cartridge and not knowing how to stand it up lay it down that sort of thing that's that's kind of where i, I landed in and, and greg uh wrote on the the facebook group he likes to fish soft hackles as well so for those of us who enjoy fishing soft hackles what types of feathers should we use for those soft hackles and how do we know which one of those feathers will work the best? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Soft hackles are, are very popular and they work really well uh, for a number of reasons. But, they, you know, there's some movement in the water, I think, is, is probably probably why they're so successful. Um, pretty much, I, I'm, I was trying to think of the question and, and I, I really don't use any soft hackle uh, feathers other than Hungarian partridge. I think there are some other um, kinds that I might use occasionally, but the, the Hungarian partridge just keeps me busy because I use them for soft hackle pheasant tails. I use them for Holy Grail caddis emergers. I use them for partridge and orange. So all kinds of, of soft hackles. And, and so the partridge, the uh, Hungarian partridge really keeps me busy. Um, this is uh, it's kind of expensive to buy the skins, but that's, that's really what I would recommend if you buy those packets of Hungarian partridge, they look cheap uh, in the store, but when you bring them back, there's just a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, garbage in there. And so oh. there, there aren't a lot of good feathers in there. So I, I would recommend that you kind of pony up and, and pay for the Hungarian uh, partridge skin. Uh, there are some differences. So uh, Wapsi uh, sells probably the cheapest and it's, it's fine. It, it works well, but, uh, nature spirit and, um, uh, hairline will probably will offer you a better product and, and more feathers. The, the problem is the sticker on, on that is probably going to be higher than what you see on a Wapsi, uh, skin, uh, how much it just depends, but it could be 50 bucks ish for a top skin. And, um, how many flies can you get out of that just depends on how, how particular you are, uh, on measuring the hackle of those flies to the size that you want. 
But, you know, if you're really resourceful, you can use some really uh, some larger feathers for um, flies like the blowtorch fly. And there's some techniques there to like use even larger uh, feathers than would work for uh, for all your other patterns. So th- that's kind of my um, synopsis of, of what to look for there. What about tying them? capturing them and make them look good to back up to my fly mm-hmm. i tied like a little collar and okay. then tied the hackle on mm-hmm. and i've seen i've seen beads behind the the, mm-hmm. the soft hackle portion i've seen them in front uh, so how do we capture let's just go with capturing one without a bead or anything Ah. How do you lay it in there? How do you, how do you wrap it? How do you do all that stuff? Well, like 90% of my flies, I I use a tungsten bead. I I really don't even use brass beads even. So tungsten, because it sinks faster. Um, Some soft tackle uh, flies, definitely, uh, you know, it's good not to use a bead, uh, especially if you want them floating in the water column and kind of a little bit off, off of the bottom, but uh, the basic idea, and you, you can find some videos on this too, to help you. So, um, you know, feel free to look up those there. I'm sure there's some specific ones on tying soft tackle and capturing them, but basically you pull the feather off that you want and you measure, you know, measure it or, or see if it's the right hackle. And, uh, let's see, you, you pull off kind of the, the wispy stuff at the bottom and then you make a, um, you pull back the, uh, the fine points that you want or the, the part of the, the feather that you want. And you make a, uh, you cut a tr- small triangle is kind of the basic uh, um, uh, way to do that. You cut a small triangle that you will capture onto the hook. And in my case, uh, it would be, uh, let's see, before the bead, but between the bead and let's say the, the um, peacock curl, let's say. Okay. Yeah. For a collar. Yeah. Which which end do you cut the V in of the feather? You've got the feathers sort of preened back and the very top portion of the uh, feather, that's what you cut off into that little triangle. Okay. So the tip. Yeah. The tip. So um, you've got this little triangle and that's what you capture on your wrap. You, so I go over it a few times and then this is, I think, important and probably one of the reasons why a lot of people, uh, the feather... Uh, breaks off is your hackle pliers. Mm-hmm. So uh, hackle pliers, you can buy cheap. You can buy for a couple bucks somewhere, but uh, I've, I've, <laughs> I have some nice hackle pliers. One of them even has like a shock absorber in it. And it's painful to pay for this. Uh, and I'm not saying you have to buy the best, but uh, if you can buy a decent pair of hackle pliers, and uh, capture and use that to hold the stem as you do the wrap. Right. It more times than not will not break off if you've captured it properly. Versus the cheaper hackle pliers tend to be stiffer. They're not as forgiving. And um, that's where I remember kind of my earlier days, uh, the feathers breaking off. That rings true to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you can get, if you properly gauge the hackle and go around it once, um, I'm thinking maybe once and a half or something like that, you probably should be able to capture it, you know, preen properly or, or around the, uh, the, the bead and so forth. I know you, you want the, the hackles most times, I guess, curved to the back, I guess is probably the way that I, I like to think of it. But are there yeah. some patterns out there you think that are where other than like a Tenkara type? Uh, mm, they, oh, okay. Yeah, forward. Yeah. 
Uh, More but, forward. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. For the forward motion, I would probably look to the Tenkara. Uh, I, I can't think of any flies that I make that would be more in a forward motion. I, yeah. I really think exclusively Tenkara, um, but I'm sure someone out there could could uh, point us in the right direction there. Um, so you were talking about, you, you mentioned measuring the feather. How do you measure that feather? What do you measure it against? So if you hold up the hook that you're using with the bead on it, and you pull out that feather and you, you've got your triangle, let's say cut uh-huh. or approximately where that would be. You can hold that up to where you would wrap that onto uh, just past the bead. <clears throat> and if the feather points come to uh, the back of the hook, basically the, the hook shank uh-huh. or the bend, that's a good <clears throat> measurement of at least where I try to put them for soft tackle pheasant tails. Okay. All right. If they go beyond that, it's too big. Um, more, more times than not, um, I think most people uh, put too big of feathers on there. So it goes way beyond the shank. Right. And that's not ideal. Um, it, it's less lifelike and it's just, it's kind of an overkill. So uh, probably, and that and that's part of the trick is with these partridge skins that there aren't, uh, there, there's a limited amount of those feathers that probably are the ones you want in that 14, 16 range, and then even less in that 18 range. Right. I tend to fish bigger soft tackles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, larger ones. I get more hookups and keep more yeah. on. So, okay. All good answers. Okay. So that clears up some things. I don't know that I could go back and tie my soft tackles the way that I really want them. I mean, I can get them done, but they just, they don't, they don't look quite like I want them to. Yeah. Okay. But I think I need to fall back to tying a couple dozen and yeah, that I think I need to fall back to that rule. Yeah. And one little trick too, is after you tie the fly to keep it in there, I use um, usually loon uh, flow or loon thin uh-huh. and uh, just put a little drop and try to get it around, like rotate it on your, on your vice, but try to get it to, to permeate around the, um, the point of tie and the, the collar. And then you zap it with, uh, with a good UV light. And that's another way to keep it, keep it in place. Do you mostly use that thin for your tying or do you like use thin for this medium for that thick for this? Uh, yeah, mostly thin. And then the, the flow, um, depending on what I'm trying to do, whether it's a pertagon or a soft tackle pheasant tail, or if I'm trying to put a little bubble on there, use a little bit thicker, but, um, yeah, usually those two products are meet most of my needs. I, I like that kind of direction because my tendency is to, well, there's three, I'm getting three, you know, or <laughs> okay. whatever. And then yeah, yeah. I promise you there's probably $200 worth of, <laughs> of that stuff over there uh-huh. still unopened ah. from five years ago, whenever it first came out, okay. I bought a whole bunch of it and used some and got mm-hmm. away from it. And so it's, it's good to have some small types of direction. Yeah. Know it going in because I didn't know what I wanted going into the fly shop. Mm-hmm. And that's where I ended up. I'm just getting it all and be done with it and move on. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I'm telling you all the mistakes I've made and, and hopefully uh, the folks out there listening are, are learning from those mistakes and, and mm. grasping what you're telling them. But so you're talking about tools. So let's just move mm-hmm. into uh, uh, yeah. another question that Glenn asks <clears throat> with all the pool, tools on the market. And there are a bunch on the market. Mm-hmm. Which tools do you rec- recommend for tying nymphs and midges and then dry flies and streamers. Are there any particular Mm -hmm. tools that you would use on nymphs and midges that maybe are a little bit of a specialty tool? Yeah. uh, So first uh, disclaimer, I don't actually tie streamers. Uh, I I have them in my box and, uh, but that's a, 
<laughs> Again, this this uh, has to do with more with my um, preference. But uh, if I use a streamer, it's a it's an act of desperation. <laughs> so uh, now, in fairness, some of the guys at my even my local shop they would prefer to use a streamer first. Right, right. They would use a nymph as a last resort. I'm the opposite. Hey, everybody's different and there's no right or wrong. Yeah. So I don't actually tie streamers um, because I just don't use them. Right. Uh, unless if I'm out West and the guide says we should use streamers, I say, okay. Yeah. And right. I, I use their streamers. So um, that being said, um, a lot, most of the tools I use, um, I use for nymphs, uh, midges and dry flies. I'm trying to think of um, where th there might be a difference there. Um, I, I suppose maybe the hackle pliers, you can buy um, midge hackle pliers. Uh, there's uh, some smaller bobbins. I have a, a, a shorty right bobbin that I can use for small uh, flies, whether they're nymphs or dry flies, but, uh, and then scissors. Uh, there's some differences, maybe there on scissors between nymphs and dry flies, but um, on the whole, I use the basic, basically the same tools. And um, what what I would answer with this question is like some tools are cheap, and you don't need them to be expensive, right? So like a threader, you know, is what two dollars. Uh, you don't need uh, a ten and fifteen dollar threader. I mean, you can buy, you can do that. You can pay for that, but um, that's not really a tool that you need to spend a lot of money on. Um, but so, so where I would go with this is that some of the tools you can get away with, and then some of the tools, maybe you do want to spend some more money on, uh, depending on how many uh, flies you're tying and that sort of thing. So your, your hackle pliers, would you use the same ones that you use for a soft tackle or is there something specific you would use on a dry fly? Uh, I vary, but um, generally they're the same. Um, I'm trying to think of the, this one that has a shock absorber. I think it's like C and K or whatnot. And then um, I use um, this one that has kind of a, a retractable, um, a gr it grabs the uh, uh, stem or whatever you need it to in a, uh, with a retractable piece. Um, so I kind of alternate there depending on if I'm getting frustrated because I'm just not capturing the the hackle, I'll, I'll go to the other one. But um, yeah, they tend to be the same whether I'm using nymphs or dry flies. Um, but most of my flies uh, are pretty small. I'd say nymphs and dry flies like 12, size 12 um, down to 18. Oh, okay. okay. And then, you know, the late or summer, I'll, I'll make some terrestrial patterns that maybe are the size uh, 10s and 8s. But that's kind of my range there. Do you ever get into these? You're, you're talking about sometimes you can't capture it, so you switch tools. Do you ever get into these these ruts where you're just, your time is just off? And mm -hmm. You're just like, man, I need to go do something else for a while. Yeah. Or, or are you able to just sit there and bang them out? 50 flies is usually like fine. Uh, if I have, if I feel the need to tie a hundred of a pattern, um, between 50 and a hundred, I'm, I'm starting to go crazy. Right. So, um, right. now I talked to some of my friends who it's like after 12, they are toast. Yeah. So, um, I think that comes with just doing it a number of times and, and, um, I'm happy to put on a TV show, a movie, listen to music. My uh, family does the same thing. My kids listen to music while they tie but I, I find 50 is, is kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with 50. I can kind of mentally, you know, as I get closer, realize I'm, I'm almost done and then I'll be able to move to another pattern. But after that, I start to, um, you know, I, I might not make it. I might have wait a little away. bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, 
do you lay out all your like your hooks and your beads and your do all that stuff? I know I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unless I'm trying to think through one and, and make it up as I go. Mm-hmm. Once I do that and get the pattern the way I want it, and then I start segmenting. Here are my hooks. Here are my beads. Yep. You know, here's my wire. Here's mm-hmm. here's whatever the whatever the body's made of, and then just try to bang my way through them. And my, mm-hmm. I used to be able to. I, I used to be able to just crank out a couple dozen, mm-hmm. uh, and then then I put myself in a box the night before Crips for a while, and would have to. I'd be up at 10 or 11 o'clock, you know, trying to tie the flies for the next day. And yeah, you know, two or three nights and days of guiding in a row. And you're just mm-hmm. like, man, what am I doing? So yeah. try to stay up on top, try to stay up on top of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lately I've been sitting um, just for hour, maybe 45 minutes, an hour, put a podcast on mm-hmm. and just try to tie some different things that, you know, that I wanted to start trying yeah. that I haven't bought or, or, you know, maybe I'm just dreaming it up. So kind of getting back into the tying a little bit, but I don't want to be the, I don't want to be there at 11 o'clock the night before a trip. I've varied uh, during my fly tying career as short as it is so far it, between like, uh, like doing these custom fly boxes where I'm doing like three of this and five of that. I don't really like that. Huh. I actually yeah. prefer to do 50 or more put them in a slot and then 50 or more of another. And then, you know, I get an order and I can just go through and, and, but if I have to run back and forth, getting the material to do just two or three of a fly, I don't, I don't like that at all. Yeah. I could see that. So that that's my preference. It's a good way to do it. Definitely. <laughs> There's no set way to do it. It's just whatever's comfortable for you. And I think that's something good to help the the folks listening out there to, to know that just because Jonathan does it one way and David does another way and mm-hmm. Ellie Gallup does it another way. And, right. you know, Susan Thrasher does it another way. Find your own way that, that, you know, to where you can enjoy it. Right. Right. Don't try to make yourself fit into somebody else's pattern. You know, take the pattern that makes you the happiest and the, the most relaxed. So do you tie hoppers much? I guess I should say terrestrials. So for terrestrials, I do uh, ant patterns, bionic ants, um, a lot of Chernobyls in various sizes, whether you want to, you know, throw them in the terrestrial camp or not. Uh, I do these uh, uh, fat Albert um, flies. And then these Amy's ants uh, are actually a terrestrial. It's actually a pretty big fly. So those are um, primarily the terrestrials uh, that I tie and maybe uh, some variations of that. The, the hoppers, what I've discovered there is I can just, I mean, they take a long time to do some of these patterns and I can just get those elsewhere if I want to use them. And I think because, um, you know, I don't live out West, um, hoppers aren't really uh, sure you see them, uh, but they're not as important. I don't think we're in the Appalachian region uh, as they are out West in, let's say the end of July and into August. Um, I'm, I'm sure somebody could dispute that and say, Oh no, I, it's, it's I'm sure. hard. And, but um, my, I, I do not usually put on a hopper uh, pattern proper when I am fishing anywhere in the Appalachians, even in August, I'm using a Chernobyl or, or an ant or something else. Yeah. So a little, something a little bit, uh, to me, those are a little easy, little easier to tie and get oh, yeah. through and yeah. yeah. And they'll hold some, they'll still hold a, a nymph up or a midge or whatever it is I'm fishing. So 
Right. I'm like, yeah, I've got an amp pattern or two that I like. I've got mm-hmm. a, I've got some uh, fat Alberts and stuff like that, that one of my mm-hmm. clients put me on that. I think, uh, I think that really helps uh, to have something just a little bit different, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little smaller, maybe a three or four sizes. And they work too. I mean, the fat Albert, like I, I have, uh, I've done really well in the Smokies with a fat Albert. I've tried a hopper, like a, you know, a traditional hopper pattern, Moorish hopper or something. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it just never really did uh, better than these other patterns. So I, I'll try something a little bit and then I put it away. <laughs> I find myself using terrestrial and hopper interchangeably, although they're not, and I understand they're not, but I find myself saying that I've got a whole box of terrestrial patterns that probably mm-hmm. have, I'd say there's probably more different, I mean, I have probably more different hopper patterns in there, but I'm not sure that those little bins in that box are as, as empty as some of the other stuff that maybe I use more. I, again, could be falling into a rut, but so can you give the, give the folks out there Maybe it's a help, helpful hint or two when you're tying a terrestrial, maybe a fat Albert uh, or something like that. Something that really could make that make a difference and maybe take out a step or something like that. Yeah, I'd probably start with an easy pattern. And th- there are some easy patterns. There's, um, you could look it up. It's it's like a general um, a hopper pattern and pretty easy to tie. And it, it I'm sure it would work. Um, as well as as most hopper patterns, so you start with something like that. Uh, um, a fat Albert, you know, is a great fly. It, there's just a lot of foam, and you know, you're it's um, it, your first fat Albert fly might be might not turn out so well um, because of all these moving parts in there, including the foam and the legs and all of that. Uh, same thing with something like an Amy's aunt. Um, so uh, don't get frustrated. When, again, start with an easier um, terrestrial pattern, an ant uh, pattern. There's a plenty of ant patterns that are easy, uh, especially if you can buy those uh, uh, those cylindrical uh, foam, <laughs> foam uh, cutters. Well, the pieces, they're like, a, you know, like Rainey's and so forth, Celsius, uh cylinder foam, a piece oh, of white okay, yeah. or, or whatnot. Uh, if you want chartreuse or some other color, you can do that. But um, there's some really easy ant patterns. Kelly Gallup's uh, ant acid is not too bad either. You just build up a little bit of, of dubbing into, you know, two balls, basically. Uh, um, so, you know, start with something like that and then um, maybe try some of these other um, more complicated terrestrial patterns. I guess what I was mentioning was the uh, the stamp that kind of stamps out the flat yeah. foam. Yeah, yes. I've got yeah. I have several different sizes of those, uh, probably every size they make and different. <laughs> That's <laughs> different a good investment. Yeah, that is yeah. a good investment. I, I still have some friends who are too cheap to buy the cutters and I'm thinking you're crazy. Oh gosh. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, cause those cutters will save you a ton of time. Um, I would highly recommend that, it's, but Probably only after you realize you really want to tie a bunch of, uh, if you buy the cutters and you're wanting to just make a couple, that's probably not a good investment. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think I, I think I hacked away. My phone looks like my, like my <laughs> phone looked like somebody cut it up with a hatchet for a while. And, uh, and then I discovered those, those cutters and Mm-hmm. Uh, in the different shapes. And it was like a lifeline thrown to me. And then, you know, I, I, I use them in the summer. Okay. Yeah. You know, they, it's worth it. Even if you tie, you know, if you tie a dozen, it's 
totally worth it because you're mm-hmm. not trying to cut off a pattern and use scissors and you know trim it with a razor blade and all that it's just yeah. it's just pretty much just push down on it and boom out some out pops a body and you're ready to move on yeah they do dull so you know i do have to kind of you know buy buy new uh cutters every once in a while but yeah that's usually after several hundred yeah at, at least so yeah i think the 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 I'm going to say normal because we're probably not normal, but the, mm-hmm. the normal fly tire out there, it would last, you know, for several years. Right. Uh, and right. by that time, there'll probably be some new cool shape that you want anyway. So there it's an excuse go, yeah. to go buy that. <laughs> right. Right. What about fishing a hopper? You got any, any uh, cool techniques there that might help, help somebody fish a hopper. And then I can, I can kind of lay one out there, but I want to see what you've got to say. Any, anything that you do regularly? Well, I mean, I, Really, I just uh, probably the 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 go to for me is to use as a dry dropper. So, uh, you know, I tie a piece of tippet, uh, uh, five or six x something like that, off the uh, bend of the hook, and then I put a nymph at the bottom. And so, um, the nice thing about these hopper patterns is they're they're usually pretty buoyant, and so you can they usually support a um, a fairly heavy nymph. Uh, which is not true for uh, a lot of dry flies. So that's another reason why I like to use those hoppers for a, a dry dropper uh, pattern. Um, I, every once in a while you can tie, um, uh, you know, you could do a double dry off of it um, if, or fish it alone. But um, pr- probably my go-to is just to use it as a dry dropper. I do the same thing on the tailwaters, dry dropper, any whatever terrestrial that I want to tie, mm-hmm. but I don't tie nymphs off of it per se. Uh-huh. I'll tie uh maybe foot and a half, two foot at the yeah. most. Yeah. Uh, a brim killer off of it. Okay. Interesting. For trout, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, so it yeah. sinks a little slower. Yeah. Than you know, than a, than a nymph with a bead on it. It kind of yeah. like glides down. And okay. then if yeah. they, if they come to look at that hopper, then chances are, if they don't want it, they're going to go after that brim killer with those, wiggling legs and that sort of thing. And they don't have to match or anything, but that mm-hmm. kind of, that technique works very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's gotta be the heat of the summer and all that, but still uh, you do the same thing with the shad and that sort of thing. Yeah. And especially like, it, you know, if you're out West and, and I imagine in the Appalachians too, I, I'll do it a little bit there, but if you throw it off the bank and give it a, a few twitches, um, that often will <laughs> incite yeah. a, a fish to come up and take it to, uh, mimicking a, a, a real hopper. So that, that's, um, you don't have to just dead drift it or, or fish it, you know, without any movement, you can do a couple twitches. And uh, so that, that can be kind of a fun way to, to fish these, uh, patterns. Another thing that, that, that I've been doing a little bit, I'm not a ton. I don't, I don't know why I don't do it a ton, but I'll wiggle the rod tip back and forth uh-huh. in a pretty quick motor and, and skitter it across like you kind of like you would a caddis, I guess, uh-huh. and skitter it across the, the top. Yeah. Uh, you know, four or five inches stop, four or five inches stop, you know, maybe yeah. a little longer, a little shorter, mm-hmm. one twitch, that sort of thing. And you're, you're stripping at the same time. So you wiggle it and strip, wiggle it and strip. Mm-hmm. Just to, when you're stripping, though, you're not moving the fly, you're just taking in line. So that's something that, that really, I've had several good, good fish come up that way, but just making sure that I get it close to close to structure with yeah. moving water beside it, you know, with a, a pretty good drift. That's, that's probably caught more nicer mm-hmm. fish than anything I've done with a, any kind of terrestrial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. 
Well, they are. Wow, we're down to question five. We've been almost probably been about 40 minutes so far, mm-hmm. something like 30 to 40 minutes, I guess. We always ask this question. I'm going to kind of lead the question a little bit because I haven't gotten a chance to to let everybody know my fly tying story, if you will. A friend of mine gave me his fly tying kit and said, here, you can borrow it. And I was just starting out. I wasn't, I, I hadn't been fly fishing for six months. He's brought it over in a Tupperware box and, uh, or a tote and just put it on my, gave it to me, put, we put it on the desk. I set the device up and that sort of thing. And then I tried to tie a fly and didn't really have time. And one thing led to another and I put it up, didn't, didn't use it. Fast forward a couple of years later and decided, all right, I'm tying flies. So I went up, I went up to the Bass Pro in Nashville, bought a kit, the Bass Pro kit, kit, and started trying to tie didn't you, I didn't use YouTube because YouTube really wasn't a thing then, but over time I started learning to tie and learning little tricks and that sort of thing. And also over time, I threw that, that kit away one piece at a time, uh, probably within the first month and a half, within a month and a half, I'd bought a new, uh, I think it was an apex vice. I think that might've been the, I think I got the apex first. But over time, I threw the whole thing away, except for, except for, funny you mentioned it, the uh, the threader. Okay, so, that's the one thing. It is still over there behind me. You can't okay. see it, but it's, it's yeah. still in there. Okay, uh, I still have that one. But everything else, including the scissors, have been thrown away. Uh, so yeah. much probably been lost. If I'm if I'm honest, but yeah. Um, so our last question is, and I'll circle back around to the to the rest of that story. What's the one thing that we haven't asked about teaching somebody to tie flies that we should have asked? Okay. Uh, I was thinking it was having to do with fly. What would you tell someone to fly fish that who, uh, for the first time? Oh, okay. Well, you want to back up. Let's do that one then. Okay. Well, I, I, regarding fly fishing, I would say what, um, what I'd recommend is you definitely go out with someone who knows how to fly fish. So don't, don't go by yourself. Go, uh, especially in the beginning, as many times as you can with especially people or someone who really is good, you know, stay with them, uh, you know, buy them uh, lunch or something like that, whatever, uh, but, you know, pay for their gas to take you there. But um, that, that, that's just going to help you tremendously. And, and probably from a safety point of view, I could uh, save you from some broken uh, limbs and, and, and just other frustrations. So uh, if we circle back to fly tying, I, the way I would answer that is is somewhat complicated. I think it just it's it's uh, parallel to fly fishing, in in the sense that um, as you know, you can start off fly fishing with um, a very limited budget, True. and a lot of people do that. I I did that, and you can get you know a, a pretty cheap fly rod, and uh, you know reel and some fly line and so forth. You don't even necessarily need waders and maybe not even um, uh, wading boots, but um, you know, you can get in very uh, cheap or relatively cheap. The same things with fly time. And I, you know, I, I think there's a, um, a benefit in, in the sense that you, you know, if, unless you have money to burn, you can, boy, you can spend a ton of money <laughs> as you know, on fly fishing and fly time. So, you know, and there's people I've come to contact with, they buy just a 
ton of really nice stuff for fly fishing and they try it once and then it sits in their garage or wherever else. Yep. So the same thing can happen with fly tying. So if you have a limited budget and you're just not sure if you'd like it, buy one of these kits and um, try to tie some flies. If you really like it, then it's just, for me, it's the same thing with fly fishing. Uh, eventually I, I, um, I, I discovered a big difference between a, a really nice rod and, um, you know, that entry level rod that I bought, I mean, my fly fishing went up a lot, it improved <laughs> dramatically, but when you're first starting off, you really need a thousand dollar rod. Uh, probably not. You may not even need a $500 rod. The same thing I think it was fly uh, tying. It sure is nice to tie with good equipment, but let me tell you, like when I first started fly tying, I, a friend gave me a, probably a 10, maybe a $15 vice. And it was a real piece of junk, but I tied several thousand midges on that alone. (laughs) (laughs) And and believe me, it was a glorious day when I got a Renzetti travel vice and started tying with that. Okay. And now I have this uh, limited edition purple Renzetti Master Vice oh, that I nice. definitely don't need. But <laughs> I, I purposely bought this thing because that's how much uh, tying I do and it meant something to me. So, but I wouldn't recommend buying that, okay, <laughs> if you're starting off tying flies. So, um, I, so, so to answer your question, it's kind of a long answer, but I'd say it just depends on your personality. I mean, um, if you have a limited budget, good news, you don't have to spend a ton, but, um, you, if you really like it, you probably aren't going to want to stay with that beginner kit for, uh, long if you're tying a lot of flies. Yeah. You took my answer away because I started (laughs) tying and decided I enjoyed it, but I told my wife, Hey, uh, let's go up to Bass Pro and and buy, you know, uh, let's get a kit for f- tying flies because those flies are two, three dollars a piece. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, I think we can, uh, you know, I did make this mistake. I think we can save some money. Yeah. If, uh, you know, yeah. and we could have if I would have stuck with three basic flies instead of, uh-huh. I need, you know what, I, I've got this and this and this and I, I need this color. And then, so-and-so in the magazine was tying this one. I got to tie this one, you know, and then the next thing, you know, behind me, there's a roll top desk and a whole dresser over there of, of materials and then little plastic boxes all over underneath the, you can't see them, but they're underneath the, the roll top desk. And, and here I am, I've got a, I've got a guy that, that ties some of most of my flies for me. <laughs> I, I, I trust him to, yeah. To, to not uh, scavenge the pattern and it saves me from staying up. But like I said, I've tried to get back into it here mm-hmm. a, a little bit uh, over the past month or so, maybe two months. I don't know. Yeah. Probably if I'm honest, probably a couple months. Now I'm to the point where I just want to experiment, you know, and just try the different things and, and not necessarily experiment off of what I see, but just, uh, you know, on the internet or on. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, but what I might see in the water. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of where I've, I've kind of landed there. Well, I like your answer to, to question number five, uh, the, the fifth question there, of one thing that we haven't asked. So that, that was good. And you hit on fly fishing and you hit, <laughs> gave us a bonus on the uh, fly tying as well. 
I agree with it, although I didn't do that, but I did, I did get to where I liked it. And, mm. and I still do enjoy it. Um, like I said, mm. I'll turn a podcast on, but uh, anyway, well, I think we can close this thing out if you want to. Uh, if you find value in this podcast, share the episode with and the podcast with your friends. Drop by the Fa- Southeastern Fly store and explore the merch that fuels the Southeastern Fly podcast. Coaching sessions times are closing out. We've got one more opening there. Uh, we'd love to have you. If you have any questions, just let me know. Let's go back to who we who we just spent some time with, just in case you missed it in the beginning. He owns a true family fly tying business like wife, kids, and himself tie flies for the business. Your flies are all hand-tied. He fishes and tests those flies in the Smokies, the Cherokee National Forest, uh, North Georgia mountains, as well as some of the tailwaters in Tennessee, Georgia, and and now uh, coming up here in North Carolina. He told me before the show that it was uh, he was headed over there. He's a professional fly tire. He owns the Fly Doctor. Uh, his name is Jonathan Yeager. Jonathan, I really appreciate you stopping by on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been a good good time, and I actually learned a couple things there, and I hope it doesn't get me too far back into fly tying because uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I have time to do it. <laughs> uh, probably wouldn't get as much sleep, but, uh, hmm. yeah, I think that's a good good for our for some introductory folks and, and good information for intermediate folks. Uh, hopefully even some of the, the well-seasoned fly tires can, can get a little uh, – motivation and maybe a a tip or two as well but uh if you get a chance go to the fly doctor and take a look at uh all the flies that jonathan his family put out there i've cruised the website and it's really got some you've got some good good patterns out there anyway you just listened to uh jonathan yeager on southeastern fly see you next time